This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to Property Patter. My name is Emma Humphreys and I'm joined today by two members of our real estate disputes team, Megan Davies and Joseph Green, to talk about some of the basics when it comes to leases being disclaimed. This route for terminating a lease arises in certain tenant insolvency situations and it's important for landlords to be alert to how it works. So let's start at the very beginning, uh, not to break into song, but um, Megan, what's meant by a disclaimer? When, when does that option arise for a party? So in the insolvency context where a tenant, if it's a company, either has a liquidator appointed or if it's an individual, it has a trustee in bankruptcy appointed. In, um, in that case, either of those can disclaim a lease. It's not available in other types of insolvency, for example, administration. You also come across disclaimer where you find out inadvertently, usually by checking company's house because you want to serve a notice on a tenant that, oh, the tenant um, actually doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's been dissolved. In that case, any assets of that tenant company vest in the crown bona vacantia, and then the treasury solicitor can disclaim the lease, which it usually will do where the property is considered um, onerous, or the asset is considered onerous. And in the insolvency context, one of the liquidator's powers and the trustee in bankruptcy. But whenever I mention liquidator today, just take it as um, as meaning trustee in bankruptcy as well on the um, individual um, basis. So one of the liquidator's powers is the right to disclaim what's called onerous property. And that's defined in the Insolvency Act as being any unprofitable contract and any other property of the company which is unsellable or not readily sellable or gives rise to a liability to pay money or perform other onerous acts. And a commercial lease is often considered to be onerous due to the liability to pay rent and other sums due under the lease and to maintain and repair the premises. Although there'll obviously be occasions where the liquidator sees an opportunity to make some money from the lease by assigning it or uh, it may be worth for the liquidator and keeping the premises at least in the short term to um, facilitate the selling off of any assets um, of the company. And in terms of the sort of practicalities, if you like, um, Joe, how does it actually work, a disclaimer? So a liquidator or the trustee in bankruptcy can disclaim onerous property by serving a notice of disclaimer on all persons with an interest in the property. The notice of disclaimer must, within seven days of the disclaimer, be served on any under lessee or mortgagee or where the property is residential, every person in occupation or claiming a right to occupy the property, plus anyone claiming an interest in the disclaimed property or who is under a liability in respect of it. The disclaimer will not take effect until this is done and any challenge is either out of time or has been dealt with, although once it becomes effective, the disclaimer operates retrospectively from the date of the disclaimer. In addition, a copy of the notice of disclaimer must be delivered as soon as reasonably practicable to the land registry and either company's house where the liquidator 
disclaims or the court where it's the trustee in bankruptcy that disclaims. The liquidator or trustee can disclaim even if they have previously exercised rights of ownership in relation to the disclaimed property, including by taking possession of it or trying to sell it. Okay, so parties should hopefully, if all goes well, know reasonably quickly after there's been a disclaimer. Um, of course, sometimes landlords are keen to move on and relet. Um, how can a landlord perhaps push for a disclaimer, Megan? So in the insolvency context, the landlord can serve a notice to elect on the liquidator or trustee in bankruptcy. If the liquidation is ongoing, and especially if the premises are not being used and or no rent is being paid and as an expense in the liquidation, then the landlord, as you said, Emma, may want to push for a disclaimer and get some clarity and hopefully get the premises back so they can be relet. And a notice to elect requires the liquidator to make a decision on whether or not to disclaim the lease. And once you've served the notice to elect, the liquidator, the liquidator has 28 days to elect whether or not to file a notice of disclaimer. And unless the liquidator is in the process of assigning the lease or intends to do so, then you would usually get a notice of disclaimer as a result of serving the notice to elect. It puts some pressure on them to make a decision and usually you end up with clarity and the premises back. And in the dissolved company context, the landlord can write to the relevant office, usually the treasury solicitor, but um, there are some areas in, in Britain where you would write to a duchy. So, for example, if the property is in Cornwall, you'd write to the duchy of Cornwall um, to put the lease and the tenant status on their radar, which usually results in getting a disclaimer in the post. Yeah, as you say, a reasonably straightforward process, actually. And um, as you say, I think in all the times I've served a, the notice of election, uh, the response has always been to engage pretty quickly and terminate the lease, which is um, usually what the landlord client has been after in that context. And so let's assume we, we get that result and the lease is disclaimed. What's the effect of that? What happens then? Perhaps thinking to start with about the tenant's interest. So in a liquidation, uh, a disclaimer determines the insolvent company's rights, interests and liabilities in the disclaimed property from the date of the disclaimer. Uh, the disclaimer has the same effect in a bankruptcy, although there are some differences to account for the fact that property of the bankrupt automatically vests in the trustee and bankruptcy personally at the start of the bankruptcy. So disclaimer in bankruptcy has the additional role of discharging the trustee in bankruptcy from personal liability as well. Any person who suffers loss or damage as a result of the disclaimer is deemed to be a creditor of the company in liquidation or the estate in bankruptcy and is entitled to proof the loss as a debt. Uh, this is true for a, a landlord that is owed arrears uh, and in respect of an insolvent tenant's dilapidations liability. The effect of disclaimer depends on the type of property that is disclaimed. Uh, interest in freehold land will sheet directly to the Crown Estate. Uh, disclaimer of a leasehold interest by the tenant's liquidator or trustee will extinguish that interest entirely, so the lease ends. All other property that is capable of existing independently, once disclaimed, will become bona vacantia. However, certain interested parties, as we'll discuss later, uh, may apply for orders vesting the disclaimed property in them. 
Yeah, that's right. And that's also important to remember there can be other parties with an interest in leases um, when they're being disclaimed. So what happens with those other interests, Megan, people like subtenants and guarantors? So the disclaimer itself doesn't affect the rights and liabilities of any other person, except in so far as that's necessary for the purposes of releasing the tenant from liability. And that means that guarantors and also any former tenant who's given an AGA remains bound, both in terms of the period before the disclaimer and also importantly afterwards. And the lease and particularly guarantee provisions may expressly deal with the guarantor's liability on disclaimer and often also include the provision whereby the guarantor can be required to take a new lease of the premises on the same terms as the disclaimed lease and for the remaining term length. So it's important to, to check the lease um, even on disclaimer and see whether there's anyone else that, um, that can be pursued for arrears and um, to, to continue being responsible going forward. But of course, in order to ensure that, for example, the guarantor remains bound, the landlord needs to make sure that it doesn't inadvertently take back possession of the premises, for example, by accepting the keys back and re-entering, because doing that would effectively act as the landlord forfeiting the lease and thereby determining any remaining interests, including the guarantor's liabilities and obligations. But of course, not, not all entries by the landlord of the premises would necessarily constitute forfeiture. For example, there may be scenarios where the lease is disclaimed and the landlord needs to enter the premises to secure them, but things like that need to be carefully considered given, given the risk involved. So you'd, you'd want to um, carefully check who could be on the hook and what the landlord wants to do going forward before it takes any steps um, on disclaimer. And in relation to possible interests that sit under the tenant, so if any subtenancies have been created, um, this is a bit of a funny one because on disclaimer, the, the sublease as such no longer exists, but the subtenant continues to have an interest in the premises. And so provided that the subtenant complies with the terms of the disclaimed head lease, then the subtenant's interest continues. And that will include the subtenant paying the head lease rent. But the, the not so ideal point here is that without there being any direct covenant between the landlord and the subtenant, the landlord can't actually enforce the terms of the head lease against the subtenant. So you're in this... Um, in this bizarre scenario where the subtenant has a has an interest in the premises and is allowed to um, be in possession. But if, for example, there's a breach of, say, the repair covenant, the landlord cannot take direct action against the subtenant for such a breach because there, unless there is a direct covenant between the two. But the landlord can still forfeit for a breach of any of the disclaimed head lease terms. Um, so looking at the um, breach of repair covenant point, the landlord could forfeit based on that and bring the subtenant's interest to an end, subject to the subtenant's right to apply for relief from forfeiture. So if, you, so if the landlord wants to determine any rights that sit under the tenant, 
then the safest course of action there would be on disclaimer to um, to re-enter and thereby forfeit any interest. But obviously, the landlord needs to be mindful as always that if there's a subtenant, then they might have a right to relief from forfeiture. Yeah, it can get really tricky. Funnily enough, I, I remember it was one of my earliest pieces of research when I qualified, I think it was. Um, so it must have been yeah, quite a while ago uh, that I was researching what happens with a subtenant on disclaimer. And I still remember to this day how very painful it was reading all the various cases and trying to piece them together and working out one earth. <laughs> As you say, it's just a sort of weird limbo situation, um, how on earth that kind of pieces together. So I think you're entirely right. You know, it's something where people have to think very carefully. Landlords need to you know, not do anything too hasty. Um, otherwise, they can lose some valuable rights uh, and they need to tread very carefully what about if the subtenant does want to stay in the premises uh, i'm sure that you know there'll be subtenants who wouldn't be too keen on the limbo scenario themselves is there anything they can do uh, subtenants have the ability to apply to the court for an order vesting the disclaimed property in them the court has a discretion whether to make an order or not although its discretion concerning the terms of a vesting order is limited where the disclaimer was by a liquidator and the application is made by a subtenant of the former tenant the court is obliged in those circumstances to order terms which make the subtenant subject to either the same liabilities under the lease as those previously imposed on the former tenant, or if the court thinks fit, the same liabilities as would have been imposed if the lease had been assigned to that party at the start of the liquidation. Uh, an application for a vesting order must be made within three months of the applicant becoming aware of the disclaimer or of his receiving notice of it, whichever is earlier. Helpful to know. I'm sure there will be some parties interested in that. Um, I suspect we will unfortunately see continuing disclaimers of leases as we go through the year. And let's finish up just perhaps with a few practical points, thinking of landlords, Megan, what sort of things do they need to think about when they're dealing with disclaimers? I think the the main thing to bear in mind for landlords on disclaimer is not to panic. And the British have this beautiful saying here, more haste, less speed. So just because you've received a notice of disclaimer, it's no obligation on the landlord to take back possession, especially not immediately. So once you receive a notice of disclaimer, it's really important to review the overall position. Okay, is there a guarantor? Are there any subtenants? Who has obligations here? And what would be the best route to recover any arrears? And also looking forward, do you already have a, a new tenant in mind? Are you keen to just get the premises back and re-let them? Or is the priority to um, clear some of the arrears? Because um, we, we haven't touched on this yet, but once the lease has been um, disclaimed, and a liquidator is appointed, then the landlord will just be one of potentially many unsecured creditors and you would submit a proof of debt, but what you'll get back will probably not be as much as you could get back if you've got a guarantor that's on the hook. Um, so you don't want to do anything that jeopardizes your possible recovery from someone like a guarantor. Although that's, that's of course, um, assuming that the guarantor is not in the same group of companies with the tenant and they've all gone under. Um, 
but you know hopefully in this scenario you, you wouldn't have that but in any event you you would need to um, check that quite carefully because you want to put yourself in the in the optimal position i mean in in many scenarios you might not have a guarantor and you just have this tenant that's gone into liquidation the lease has been disclaimed we don't know who is in occupation? Maybe there have been some licenses to occupy that have been um, that have been granted by a tenant, and you're just keen to get the premises back, and you don't think there's anyone you can you can pursue for these arrears. So in in that scenario, the most sensible thing might be for you to re-enter, um, so you determine any sub-interests that that exist, and then you can get on with marketing and and reletting the premises to to minimize the loss you're, you're going to suffer as a result of the tenant having gone into liquidation and probably not having paid rent for a while. So that would be my takeaway point. As soon as the notice of disclaimer comes in, possibly even before, because as, as we discussed um, earlier on, you might not get a notice of disclaimer immediately. You might... Uh, you might have to engage in some correspondence with the liquidator and serve a notice to elect to even get there. And obviously all of that gives you time to properly consider your strategy and what your priorities are here. Yes, and in a final learning point for our listeners, is there any German equivalent of more haste, less speed? Do you have your own phrase in Germany? <laughs> That's a good question. Hang on, let me find out. <laughs> Do you know that there is one? I've never used this before. Okay, so apparently the, the German equivalent to uh, more haste, less speed is Isla mit Weiler. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Isla mit Weiler. Yeah. I love that. Perfect. So covered all bases for our listeners today. <laughs> International element as well. Thank you both for that. Uh, it's very helpful guidance on when and how a disclaimer uh, takes place. Um, I'm sure we're all happy to be contacted by listeners if they've got any further queries on this area. I should also say that Listeners can also contact any of us to sign up to our surveyors refresher area where there's more information on terminating tenancies and insolvency situations and lots of other topics as well. In the meantime, stay safe and well, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast.